Hello and welcome to A Skeptic's Guide to Conspiracy and the Irreverent Skeptics Podcast. I'm Mike Bowler and I'm doing a special report on the Amelia Earhart Lost Evidence documentary that just recently came out on the History Channel. And of course it has, this is one of those wonderful, uh, oh where to even begin, what's wrong with this thing? And, is, of course, the skeptical community jumped in and was able to f- pretty much debunk the in- this entire documentary. So let's kind of start from the beginning of in the show. This was a... I'm not sure exactly the arrangement History Channel had with the producers of this video or this... What the, his- the History Channel their relationship with the producer of this documentary. But apparently the the company that made this documentary does a number of shows for A&E and many of the other uh, cable stations. And the idea, or apparently the, the theme of this is that Amelia Earhart actually crash-landed in the Marshall Islands and was captured by the Japanese, taken to Saipan, where she would eventually be executed and buried. But this particular documentary, apparently it's uh, it's hosted, or perhaps uh, the, the main character in, the, in this is uh, a guy named uh, Sean Henry. Mr. Henry apparently is a ex-FBI head of uh, investigations apparently uh, under this was under uh, Barack Obama's administration so he probably maybe he lost his job and when during the switch over but he's now was given the task of I don't know if he was hosting this thing or was trying to be the lead investigator for what was going to be presented in this documentary. Um, again, there's, some, I, I'm personally confused what, what his purpose was in this thing, because he certainly didn't show any real competency to do the job that was in front of him. I don't know if this was, again, uh, we're talking about a TV show. Uh, I'm sure Maybe his better stuff got cut out, whatever the deal is. But really, he makes a really... There's a lot of uh, what I would say. I would highly question his ability as an investigator. But let's deal with that when we get to it. So the documentary starts off with Henry, of course, first talking about the the flight in question, this is Amelia Earhart's round-the-world attempt. Uh, she had just uh, taken off from Ley, New Guinea, and en route to Howland Island, which uh, was one of the last few legs of this round-the-world trip. There was a number of already she had already crossed from across the United States, South America, Africa, Southeast Asia, ending up in lay new guinea so this particular leg upon takeoff within uh probably about a third of the way into the flight bad weather strong winds lightning was developing in front of her fred noonan who was her navigator was beginning to uh 
kind of lose track of where they were at. Uh, communications was breaking down. When Earhart believed she was roughly in the area that she needed to be, attempted to contact the U.S. Coast Guard ship, the Itasca, to get directions, some direction finding, anything to get her to Howland Island, and eventually disappearing. Now, this has been the mystery ever since everything... Everything about Amelia Earhart centers around this particular flight. And quite frankly, uh, there's been a number of different ideas thrown out to what happened to Amelia Earhart. Some seem to believe uh, even UFOs may have kidnapped her. But needless to say, uh, what happened was, uh, and as far as the U.S. Navy and Coast Guard were concerned, she somehow crashed in the ocean and was lost. A intense search for Earhart uh, was uh, instituted. No sign of her airplane or any type of wreckage, anything of the plane. So having explained that, and Henry brings in a, a pilot, a fellow by the name of Dan Hampton, who apparently is a ex-Air Force pilot. He has written a number of books on flying and aircraft and especially fighter uh, aircraft and these two are actually the seems to be the two players that are trying to do conduct this investigation hampton of course makes the comment uh early on that amelia Earhart, being a aviator and you know a pilot that uh there should have been a number of contingencies plans in place in case something goes wrong. Of course, um, in hindsight, that may be true, but we're talking 1937, not 2016, 2017. Hampton, in his claim that it would make the claim that Earhart was a professional pilot, knew uh, or was well aware of the hazards and would have plans and plans on plans, contingency plans, for something, to, if something did go wrong. And this would be true. This is probably a true statement. But then again, Earhart didn't have the technology that a modern pilot would have access to. In 1937, the most common uh, navigation aid would have been dead reckoning, but also radio direction finding would have been available. And of course, that was what was set up. The U.S. Coast Guard had set up the uh, Itasca to guide her into Holland Island. Uh, Holland Island also was uh, sending out a signal. But because of the storm and the weather, that Earhart, having run into bad weather, lightning, heavy winds, certainly would have uh, really heavily taxed her ability to navigate with Noonan uh doing the navigating work, unable to determine if the, what type of winds they were dealing with, trying to deal with the wind and adjusting for that, trying to receive uh, radio direction finding uh, signals uh, would have been kind of dubious at best, not that the equipment wasn't working, but with the lightning and thunderstorms could very well have uh, impeded the ability for the, the aircraft to receive these signals. And... This actually bears out in the report of the flight. A lot of garbled and non-responsive uh, calls back and forth. Earhart uh, apparently was broadcasting 
unable to hear anybody. So there was a lot of really just trying to trying to communicate and get to the island was becoming very, very uh, almost impossible. Now, so when after talking about the flight, Sean Henry and Dan Hampton having just you know had going through this discussion, Henry brings up that, but we have at we may found, have found someone who has evidence that Earhart survived the crash or f- survived that flight and was on the, in the Marshall Islands. Of course, you cut, then we cut to a fellow named Les Kinney who has an interest in the Earhart mystery while going through the National Archives, finds a photo, and he believes that two of the people in that photo were Noonan and Earhart. If you look close at the photo, and actually I will, this is the famous photo that uh, has been used as basically the the smoking gun in this story. You'll see a someone who may be a Caucasian, uh, a male who's standing up, but he's standing behind a sign. And then there's also a, in that same image, there's what appears to be a woman looking out at the, out toward the ocean, back to the camera. And they Kinney believes that this is Newton and Earhart in 1937. The photo has the caption, O-N-I, Jalut Atoll in in the Marshall Islands. He said he found this in a box. It was all mixed together as part of the, what he believed to be the research into the eventual, uh, the 1944 campaign in the Marshall Islands. So, making the assumption that these were photos before the war made made the uh, assumption that it was from 1937, and this was a was evidence of Earhart and Noonan surviving in the Pacific. Now, there's more to come here, but uh, the documentary then proceeds to try to authenticate the photo. It takes it to one expert who says, "No, this this photo has never been." Uh, modified, retouched, any type of um, any manip- there was no manipulation to the photo. A second person who, who ex- whose expertise was in body uh, uh, recognition, face um, uh, biometric type uh, analysis, he seems to believe that it might might be Noonan, and the body structure of the woman roughly matches Earhart. So. Of course, our intrepid uh, investigators then proceed to talk to, I believe that it was Richard Spink, who was a, uh, again, a, another enthusiast and had an interest in the Earhart uh, mystery, who apparently had done a, been to the Marshall Islands and had found evidence, what he believes is wreckage from her plane. And possibly a the wheels that might have been used to move the aircraft across the atoll. This was in uh, Amili Atoll, which would then the plane would be loaded onto a barge, which would then be towed to Jalut, and brings you to the image in that photo. Again, um, making the assumption that using the assumption that. The island was never occupied either by the Japanese or the United States. There was no uh, any type of military 
presence that would require these wheels, which the wheels were used for moving material. And uh, many of the photos that they were showing was showing them moving naval shells. So it was kind of like a mini railroad uh, type wheels. So why these wheels would be on Milly Atoll, they made the conclusion it had to be to move Earhart's airplane. So now you have, then they went to the, the atoll, they dug around, or at least he did, and found some metal that might, which actually matches, or does a, has a really good match to a part off of a Lockheed Electra, believing that this was a part off of Earhart's plane. There was actually two pieces of metal, and again, the at the, this was the enough evidence to say, yeah, there was a a Lockheed Electra on that island. Now, from there, they then they go and they go off to the island and they dig around and they look at some of this stuff and they find the wheels and they look at it and okay, so uh, they kind of kind of tell you they they tell you that they yeah they they this is it how they might have moved it. There apparently had been an, an eyewitness to a aircraft being moved, and they talked to some of the natives and people who may have seen this or have been have claimed to see this. There was a woman in Kentucky that they would talk to that they she believes she heard Earhart on her home radio, and basically the it kind of wound into this. Um, you know, we, they got the eyewitnesses. They've got all this circumstantial evidence, and uh, apparently there was some investigations into uh, a burial ground on Saipan that may have had Earhart's remains. Again, nothing really con- um, conclusive, and they kind of said, "Yes, we believe that Earhart was had crashed on Millie Island, or." landed on Millie Island, towed to Jalut, and then eventually taken on to Saipan, where she was kept as a prisoner, eventually executed, and that's where her body lies. And I guess on the face, it probably seemed slightly plausible until a few days afterwards, a Japanese blogger found the original photo, this original photo showing the two Caucasians. And what they sh- what it shows, uh, and not so much. It's it's really um, uh, the exact same image, but it was in a Japanese travel log dated 1935. So, right off the bat, the whole the whole thing, the whole story collapsed. They built this story. They built their story off of this photo. This photo was ta- actually taken at least two years, perhaps even three or four years earlier. Uh, we know definitely. You know, definitely this thing was published in October of 1935. Earhart wouldn't be there until 1937, so there's a two-year gap. There's definitely no way that photo, that, that the woman in that photo and the man in that photo was Earhart or Noonan. And it was, the this photo was actually taken and put in the ONI files. Why would that photo be in the ONI files? Well, again, in an earlier podcast, I believe it was for either the nine, my 9-11 shows, or maybe I did it for something else. There was I talked about 
the post-Paris Peace Treaty of 1919. This was the end of the First World War. This was the uh, peace treaty. Of course, you had the the various treaties for Germany and Austria-Hungary and the Ottoman Empire that... uh, but then you also had the the, the the treaty, the overall treaty, that basically rearranged Europe and established what was called the mandates. I call them mandates. That these were regions that used to be under German or Austria-Hungary or the Ottoman Empire, various colonies and territories that would have been carved out, placed under a United Nations mandate. This was the, the idea was that these a country would be uh, put in charge with the intent that the territory in question would eventually allow to create its own government, establish an economy, and then eventually be given its independence. So these various mandates would be you know be it would be administered by one of the the allied countries, mostly France and Britain and Japan. Britain got Palestine, French got the Transjordan, and the Japanese, amongst uh, their uh, mandate, was the Marshall Islands. The thing was that the Japanese didn't actually follow the rules, and actually had began to occupy with uh, Japanese troops in these various islands, establishing forward bases, air, air bases, uh, naval stations, and basically the island, the Marshall Islands, were fortified and occupied, again, against the mandates, uh, the, the rules for the mandates. Now, the Japanese were very, very secretive people, that, and not only see them their, themselves being secretive, the military was just so much secretive, and the Navy, no Caucasian would ever be able to get close to a Japanese military base. So the idea is that did the Japanese actually occupy Mili Atoll? And there's a very good chance, yes, they did, that the Mili Atoll was occupied by Japanese. And certainly if they're occupied Japanese, you will find Japanese wreckage. That's what we find is the those wheels that were alleged to move aircraft. And oddly enough... A, I found a Navy report from the USS Yorktown about dealing with the various atolls. And one of the battle reports was for Millie Atoll, where they found one warehouse and then a warehouse water storage on the atoll. So the Japanese had, were occupying Millie Atoll, or at least not necessarily with heavy fortifications, but a, a garrison maybe, of course, according to the military intelligence, about 300 soldiers were on Millie Atoll at the, at the time of the Marshall's campaign. So the idea that Millie Atoll wasn't occupied may have been true, but there's more than likely it was, more and more than likely since it was a it's in the farther, farthest southeast corner of the atoll system. There's 24 atolls in total. It would have been a very good early warning for any type of American aircraft or ships that may be moving through that area. So it's it, it's hard to say, but there's a very good chance there were Japanese military on that island. 
in the you know as skeptics we probably you know we've heard uh, of course the experts talking quite a bit about um, the various psychologies and I'm not I'm no expert on that but certainly relying on uh, people who witnessed something that occurred 80 years ago memories fade so to kind of wrap this thing up this plays well into my uh, general dislike of the history channel and the and the course it's been taking there's very little history on the history channel and actually many of the learning channels and the discoveries and so on have catered more to the i don't know more sensational or more uh pretty much non-history related the history channel's gone to this uh i don't know reality type uh programming you've got pawnbrokers you've got truck drivers you've got um alligator hunters and all this stuff and i i am hard pressed to understand what history can be gained from that even the uh, american pickers going through old barns to find odd items and trying to uh you know you know you get this little tidbit of history you know this sign did this and you know these these pumps were famous uh whatever the logic behind it you know it doesn't tell it it doesn't say much and even when they do do a history related like uh the men who build america and all these uh, various uh kind of documentaries there's so i keep i keep hearing so many mistakes or so many contradictions to anything historical at first it makes me wonder do i got my history wrong but when i find out no they've got their history wrong uh it's really you know the the value of the history channel is you should not take anything you see on the history channel as any type of fact i mean really and this this documentary the amelia Earhart lost evidence is should be the cornerstone of this argument there is nothing true about it there it actually from a skeptical standpoint or anybody doing a skeptical analysis should say this is how you don't do an investigation this is not how things are done basically it is the it is classic build a narrative around one piece of evidence and find cherry pick the information you want to fit your story throughout that documentary evidence and information such as the u.s navy reports on the war in the in the marshall islands the japanese could have very well have been occupying military intelligence believed there was an occupying force on millie island that it warranted a couple air raids to take out warehouses and water towers so of course that gets left out and that should be again cherry picking information to fit your narrative that's actually opposite of what is real so i think i've done a good takedown i hope i did and i would like to thank you for listening uh be sure to check this out you if you're a subscriber to a skeptic's guide to conspiracy or irreverent skeptics these will it'll go out on both of these and i would like to thank you for uh hanging in with us and uh hopefully you'll hear from me soon thank you good night